we've been uh, in a series the last few weeks, and I'm just loving this series. It's called Greater. And what we're doing is we're walking through the book of Colossians together. And, and God has just been showing us some incredible truths in his word. And so if you missed any of the messages, you can uh, go ahead and check those out. We have them posted on our YouTube page, also on our podcast. So, so I encourage you, if you weren't here for one of the weeks, go back and listen because God has really been teaching us some stuff. And um, so far, what we've learned uh, about the book of Colossians is that it is a letter from Paul and Timothy to the church of Colossae. And the church of Colossae is only about five years old at this time, and, and, and they're newer believers, and, and they live in an area and in a culture where temptation and false religion are all around them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I think we can probably, the the same things that were going on in the Church of Colossae is probably the same things we're facing today. And so I think this book is a great book for us to dig in and study. And in this letter, there's a recurring um, theme that the writers are wanting the people to understand. And that theme is that Christ is greater. He is greater than any other God, any other teaching, and any other religion. They wanted them to know that Christ is supreme. He is supreme over any circumstance, any problem, and any situation. Christ is greater. How is that for some good news this morning? Amen? So today, we're going to be moving into Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to focus on the first 10 verses. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me um, to that passage. If you don't have your Bible, you can also follow along with us up on the screens. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And let's read this together. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you are taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority." I believe that God wants to speak to us today. And so I want you to prepare for him to speak to you. What what I want you to do is I want you to get out your notes. I I want you to be ready to write things down when God puts something on your heart. I I want you to be ready to underline and circle and, and highlight because you know what? Those things that stick out to you, that's oftentimes God's way of trying to get your attention. So I just want you to turn to your neighbor on your right and I want you to look at him and I want you to say, God wants to speak to you. Come on, tell them God wants to speak to you. Now, turn to the neighbor on your left and tell them, so listen up. So listen up. 
All right, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just ask that your word would come alive to us today. God, we ask that you would speak not through my words, not through my message, but from your word. God, I pray you would open our ears to hear and open our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the first thing I want us to notice in our text today is number one, Paul's concern. Paul's concern. You know, it's crazy to me to think about how much Paul cares for the people in this church and and the surrounding communities, even though he's never even met them. You know, and as I was thinking about that and kind of wondering, like, how could Paul have this kind of love for these people that he's never met? I realized that that kind of love was only possible because he spent time in prayer for them. That's why he loved them, because he prayed for them. How many, how many of you know that when you pray for someone regularly, you grow to love and to care for them in spite of differences and in spite of distance? So I would ask you this morning, is there someone in your life that you're struggling to love? Now, don't look at anyone or nudge your neighbor or call out your husband, but, but just think about it. Is there someone in your life that you're struggling to love? And if there is, I would ask you this question, have you tried praying for them? Have you tried praying for them? Because I believe that as we pray for people, God will begin to impart his heart for those people into us. And we will begin to see them as he sees them. And we will begin to develop a supernatural kind of love for them. So we see here that Paul, he loves these people so much and and he's so concerned for him, for them, that he actually uses the word agonize. He agonizes for them. Now, Now that's pretty intense. You see, Paul was in prison and so he couldn't be with them in the physical, but he was going to battle for them in the spiritual realm. So what was he so concerned about? Well, the first thing I think he was concerned with is their unity. Their unity. In verse two, it says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. See, Paul understood the importance of and the power of unity within the body of Christ. You know, he spoke about it many times in his writings, not just here in the book of Colossians. And he knew that in times of persecution and in times where, where false religion is just running rampant, that they were going to need each other if they were going to be able to withstand the culture and withstand the attacks that were all around them. You know, there's a story that's told about a father who catches his two sons fighting. And he calls them in and and he gives the oldest one a small stick and and he asks them to just snap the stick. So the son kind of, you know, with a little rebellious smirk on his face, yeah, that's as easy, snap, snap the twig. Well, then the father handed him two sticks, and and again, the son snaps it pretty easily. Then it was three sticks, then four, then five. At about six sticks, this time, like like the boy was kind of having to strain to really get the sticks to snap. Then finally, with seven sticks, he had to admit defeat. And so the father brings the sons around him, and he teaches them this lesson, and he says, A house divided cannot stand. 
You see, you can be defeated one by one, but if you stand together, your united strength will cause your enemies to have second thoughts. Church, one by one, we might get picked off, but together, our united strength will cause our enemies to have second thoughts. Paul was concerned for their unity because he understood that they would be stronger together. They would be stronger together. So Paul was concerned for their unity, and then Paul was also concerned for their understanding. In the rest of verse 2 and 3, it goes on to say, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul was concerned that they believe the right things about Jesus. Not just believe about Jesus, but they believe the right things about Jesus. He wanted them to truly understand that Jesus was God's plan because Paul knew something very important. He knew that what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. What we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us. He knew that if they had an understanding of who Jesus was and what he had done for them, that in Christ, they would find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that they would ever need. He understood that Jesus was the only source for these amazing gifts and that only in Christ can we find the knowledge to understand God's truth and the wisdom to live it out day by day. He wanted to make sure that they understood who Christ really was. Paul was also concerned for their unwavering faith. Their unwavering faith. In verse four and five, it says, I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Paul is telling them, hey, there's some people who want to deceive you. There is an agenda out there to delude the gospel of Jesus. There is an enemy that knows how powerful the gospel is. And so that enemy wants to add to the gospel. And that enemy wants to water down the gospel. And that, that enemy wants to twist the gospel. And, and that same enemy that was there in the church of Colossae, that same enemy is here today. That we are fighting that same battle. But here's the good news is that we don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be deceived. We can defend ourselves against these attacks because we have the greatest weapon and the greatest weapon is the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ, that is our weapon. Christ is our weapon. What Paul knew to be true for the church in Colossae and what I know to be true for the church today is that if we study the word for ourselves and, and not just the written word, the scriptures, although that is very important and we need to do that. But if we study the word, who is Jesus, the word, who is Jesus, if we begin to become so familiar with him, if we know him inside and out, we will not be deceived you know, when federal agents are being trained to detect counterfeit money, they don't start by studying the counterfeit. No, they start by studying the genuine bills and, and they spend hours studying every single detail of the real thing. 
like how it feels to touch it and, and what, what it, the weight of it is in their hands and, and how it looks up to the light. Like, like they're so well versed in what the real thing looks like that it becomes very easy for them to spot the fake. If we begin to study Jesus, to really know him, who he is and and what he thinks about things and and what his voice sounds like and and how he loves and how he corrects and, and, and what it feels like to walk with him. If we do that, we will be able to spot the counterfeits that this world tries to offer and our faith will remain unwavering. See, Paul... We looked at Paul's concern in this first section, and now I want us to look at number two, Paul's instructions. He gives us some instructions. In verse six, it says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Paul's instruction here is this, to follow Jesus to follow Jesus. We are to continue walking with him and in him. And and we need to daily recognize our need and our dependence on him. It's not just a one and done. We don't just follow him. We've got to continue to follow him. You know, as a pastor, I've seen it so many times. and, And if I've honest, I've even experienced it in my own life. We come to believe in Jesus and we make him our Lord and our Savior. And it's so amazing. We're so excited, you know, to place our faith in the Lord and ask him for forgiveness of our sins. And in the beginning, we just kind of walk around with this glow on our face. And we're just telling everybody about Jesus, telling everybody about this newfound faith. But then somewhere along the way, the excitement begins to fade you know, maybe we become discouraged or, or maybe we, we get hurt by someone in church or, or we become complacent or, or even silent. And Paul is telling this church and I am telling you today, continue on in the way you started. That same passion and, you, and love that you had for Christ in the beginning, continue in that way. You know, it's not going to be easy. Following Jesus never is easy. It's going to require some discipline and obedience, but but don't give up. Continue to follow him. Be persistent. Be faithful because it's going to be worth it. The next instruction Paul gives us is to grow deep in Jesus. Grow deep in Jesus. In verse seven, it says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you are taught. We have to grow down so that we can grow up. We've got to grow down so that we can grow up. We need a root system. You know what? A tree will never grow tall and strong with big branches unless it first develops a root system. There are too many Christian tumbleweeds blowing around. How many of you know anything about tumbleweeds? I grew up in West Texas in Midland, and so I know a thing or two about tumbleweeds. And one of the things I know is that they really have no root system. They actually only have one single narrow root that turns brittle with age. And that's why they blow around everywhere is because they don't live long and they can't sustain the winds and the elements because they don't have enough root. 
I believe that there are some Christians that are living like tumbleweeds. And we can't survive the winds and the elements of life because they don't have enough root. On the flip side, how many of you have ever seen pictures after a hurricane has ripped through a coastal town? And it's astonishing to see photographs of, of buildings that are completely destroyed, but, but surrounding them are trees that are still standing. And the reason that this can happen is because of what we don't see. What we don't see is the deep roots that have grown underground. And because of these deep roots, the tree is able to withstand the storm. You see, Paul was instructing the church of Colossae, and I'm instructing you today that our relationship with Christ has got to go down deep. We've got to have some roots. So some of you might be thinking, well, Krista, that's great. It sounds awesome. I want a deeper relationship with Christ. I want that spiritual root system, but how do I get it? Like, how do I build it? And I would say it's the same way that you build a deeper connection with a friend. The same way you build a deeper relationship with your spouse or with your kids. And, and the way you do that is time. Time. If we want to go deeper, we've got to invest the time. Time in his word. Reading and studying scripture so that we can have a good foundation to build on. We need time in prayer. Just, just talking to God. Like, how could we ever expect to know someone deeply if we never talk to them? And it's not just all talking. Prayer should include listening as well. Amen? If we want deep roots, we need time with God's people. You know, when I hang around Sean's friends and his family, I feel like I begin to know him in a deeper way. And you will see new things about God when you spend time with his people. God will show you things about himself by being around other believers. So it sounds simple, and that's because it is simple. The hardest part is just actually doing it, actually making the space in our crazy lives to take the time to go deep with Jesus. Church, let's not be tumbleweed Christians. Let's not be tumbleweed Christians. My prayer for the grace place is that we know Jesus so well that we are not shaken by the winds and the storms that will come through our lives because our roots are secure. Our faith has been established and it is strong. The last instruction Paul gives here is to thank Jesus. The last part of verse seven just says, and you will overflow with thankfulness. A characteristic of a believer who is deeply rooted in Jesus is a thankful attitude. The mark of a healthy and a mature Christian is that they just spill over with gratitude. You know, Sean talked about gratitude a couple of weeks in his message, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to share this one thought. If you truly believe who Jesus is, and what he's actually done for you. Like if you can get the truth of the gospel down deep into your spirit, you will not be able to hold back the gratitude. You will not be able to hold it in. Your heart and your mind and your life will overflow with thankfulness. The next thing I want us to notice in the text is number three, Paul's warning. 
In verse 8, it says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. What is Paul warning them about here? He is saying, steer clear of substitutes. Steer clear of substitutes. Here, here's the problem with substitutes. It's that they look really close to the real thing. Like if it didn't resemble the real thing, then people would never be taken in. Think about like knockoff brands. Now, now I'm a Dr. Pepper lover. Anybody Dr. Pepper lovers in the house? Yes. Now, Diet Dr. Pepper is my drink of choice. And, and before anyone gets started, like I know... Don't send me the articles. I know it's not healthy. I know it's not good for me, but I can't help it. I love it. Okay? So, so, so I love Diet Dr. Pepper. And I can remember as a kid, sometimes my parents would, would try to save a little money, and they would, they would buy, like, Dr. Thunder. Right? Like, has anybody ever had Dr. Thunder? Okay? Like, like on the outside, it kind of looks like Dr. Pepper, and, and it even like kind of tastes like Dr. Pepper, but at the end of the day, it was just never quite as satisfying like as that sweet nectar from heaven, the real thing, Dr. Pepper, okay? So, so it was never as good as the real thing because it was just a substitute, Paul is warning the church of Colossae, and I am warning you today, don't get tricked by substitutes. You know what? They may look pretty good, and and yeah, they'll definitely cost you a little less up front, but they will never truly satisfy. You see, the world is going to try to give you a watered-down substitute for the gospel. Our culture is trying to package and sell a gospel that is self-help and self-centered and self-indulgent. And the enemy is going to use all the power he has to blind people from the truth and to deceive them and to manipulate. And just as the church of Colossae was in a spiritual battle, so are we today. We are in a battle that goes far beyond what is visible and what is tangible to our own human eyes. It's a spiritual battle. And the only way to fight a spiritual battle is by proclaiming the pure and the true gospel and demolishing the arguments. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5, it says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Paul warned the Colossians and I warn you, steer clear of substitutes. It's a matter of spiritual life and death. The last thing I want us to notice in our text is number four, Paul's reminder. Paul's reminder. In verse 9 and 10, it says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. What is Paul reminding them here? He's reminding them who Christ is. 
who Christ is. He's reminding them that Jesus is God in human form, that in Christ dwells the fullness of God. What does that mean, the fullness of God? It means that in Christ dwells all the attributes of God. There is nothing in God's nature that is not fully present in Christ. It is in Jesus that God gives us a full and a complete expression of himself. Isn't that beautiful? He also reminds them that that Christ is the head over every ruler and every authority. He is not a God. He is the God. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And to him, every knee must bow. That's who our Jesus is. But he doesn't just remind them who Christ is. He also reminds them who they are in Christ who they are in Christ. You know what? We are complete in Christ. Because of who Jesus is and because of our union with him, we get to share in his fullness. Doesn't that just make you want to overflow with thankfulness and thanksgiving? Like, Like, let me say that again. Because of who Jesus is and because of our union with him, we actually get to share in his fullness. So, so the fullness that Christ has in God, we get to experience that same fullness. We get to share that fullness with him. Man, it'll blow your mind if you really get that inside of you, that, that we are full in Christ. There is no emptiness in Christ. There is no insecurity in Christ. We can rest assured in what he did and who we are in him. And that's the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. If I was going to wrap this whole message up just into one statement, it would be this. We have this assurance. Jesus is greater. Greater. 